Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. There's our 10 minute lesson series, which aims to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview of somewhere in the range of eight to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people really need to know. There's our seminar series, which provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events. And then there's our interview series, where we chat to experts on a range of policy areas. This is one of those. This week, Barry Finnegan, who's the Programme Director and Senior Lecturer in the Faculty of Journalism and Media Communications at Griffith College Dublin, talks to me about media literacy. He chats about the need to question and critique the information presented to us, and that we need to understand that social media content is created to generate revenue, so that accuracy is not always necessary, so we hope you enjoy it. The point of this podcast is that words matter and that language matters, so mm-hmm. fake news, misinformation and disinformation, are they the same thing or different? They're all different, okay. and it's also different again, depends who's using the words. Okay. <laughs> okay, so for me it starts with the point of um, in 2002, where before anti-social media, sorry, social media. No, it's a little joke I have. I, I say anti-social media just to, for my students to get a bit of a laugh. But um, if you said to a person uh, in your market research, um, you know, where do you get your news from? And they said, I get it in the spa shop. The survey practitioner would say, yes. And when you go into the spa shop, there are 32 types of magazines and there are 22 newspapers some edited in Ireland, some in the UK. So of those needed choice, from those newspapers and magazines, when you go into the spa shop, where do you get your news from? Okay. And so one of the things that happened then in the mid 2000s was a chronic case of what we call uh, technological determinism. And so all technology is all good all the time. And if you wish to engage in a critical uh, discussion about it, critique, analyze, discourse about it, there's something wrong with you mentally, you're a Luddite, and you want to drive us into some sort of communist authoritarian state at the very best case scenario. And so, for example, you had otherwise rational, strong states across Europe who, who had, for example, a national television license scheme where the research demonstrates that publicly funded and ring-fenced funding for the promotion and reflection of a nation-state's culture and to have not-for-profit, expensive, time-consuming, labour-intensive investigative journalism and to just maintain an air of civility and information in the public realm. Uh, Public service television does a a really good job at this. In countries with well-funded public service television, you know, people in comparison to those that don't, people live longer, they've got better health systems, we've got better mental health, we've better public services, better workers' rights, etc. And so to show us what was happening, governments knew that young people would stop buying TV and they knew that they would interact with the state broadcaster on a phone or on a PC. And yet it took many years for governments across Europe to go, let's not have a television physical product on a shelf license, let's have a media household license. And so when we have a new technology, what happens in our society is that basically, to use a common phrase, we lose the run of ourselves. 
and uh, people lose the run of themselves. And so you have um, superhero angels from another dimension who are really clever and have worked out this magical way of making money. The most magical way of making money is to go, it's taken a long time for the society and the state to regulate this particular area of human endeavor to actively and aggressively and in a well-financed way root out and annihilate cartels and monopolies and cultivate a genuinely free market with a competitive edge in a dynamic democratic society. And so we failed miserably to go interacting with the state broadcasting website must be treated online the same as it is. So that's an example of where we're going. And the other thing then is that in terms of the dominance, so it's no surprise that we didn't regulate social media early on. And that's, you know, it was in the state's interest to do so, but it didn't. Now, the second idea then in terms of misinformation, fake news, and our ability to understand what these words, feelings, phrases mean, is that when Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web, you know, he came through a European public service education system. He was inculcated with the values of the public good and the collective good and understood that uh, as Adam Smith did uh, the late the 18th century, you know, godfather of modern capitalism, the only way that you can have a dynamic competitive capitalist market is for the state to be aggressively, dynamically, in a well-funded, well-trained manner, rooting out all manner of cartels and, and oligopolies. And it is only through this means that we can achieve the most efficient use of technological resources and discovery. But the dominant value system of our society is profit-seeking. And to facilitate this, we have a culture of consumerism. And so he who dies with the most toys wins, don't use old stuff, uh, buy new stuff. And so, and um, convince people to buy things that they, to create artificial wants to satisfy innate human needs and drives. And so uh, where Tim Berners-Lee said, one world wide web for the whole world, don't have the Manchester United internet and the Disney internet and the Volkswagen and Mercedes internet so that we have one, what he called World Wide Web, so that we're all together in this collective struggle for survival of our species and the sharing of information and, uh, and, and all that end of things. And so what social media facilitated was this latent desire of the capitalist aesthetic and the capitalist way of looking at the world to go, it's all for me. I don't actually ontologically understand the concept of the public good, the collective good, and the, you know, the building of the great one world society of the early 21st century brackets so that our species can survive the Anthropocene. And so in terms of the value system of the senior civil servants, senior media workers and journalists, uh, movie script writers, politicians, millionaires, and those on over 150 grand in general, the idea that you could get everyone to go to one privately owned platform, and then in a really quiet, private and below the hood way, collect two and a half thousand data points uh, about them was an advertiser's dream, a capitalist dream, and fitted the requirements for the um, sort of the zenith of the, the pinnacle of human endeavor, which is the seeking of profit. You know, and so in those contexts, it's, uh, you know, it's extremely difficult 
to try to come to the word fake news, disinformation or misinformation without contextualizing it when A, the dominant value system of society and B, the, the, the flabby minded losing the run of yourself that happens when we have a new technology. Many years ago, I got rather irate with my students persistently spelling the Internet with a capital I. So what I did was I searched for the word radio in uh, six month tranches in UK and Irish broadsheet newspapers from 1930 in intervals of five or six years up to the 1960s. And what happened was it was uh, it was in the 1960s that journalists stopped using the capital R for radio. Shortly after that, they started using a capital T for television, which really only ended in the 19, late 1980s. And so, you know, until we stop spelling the Internet and I'm talking 19 year olds and academics and journalists spelling the Internet with a capital I, no one has any idea of what it is or might be. And so we're flailing around in the dark with this extraordinary technology, uh, the likes of which has never been seen before. Now, from whence um, Facebook, most inaccurate information, when I say most, I mean 95 percent, the research demonstrates that 95% of inaccurate information on websites and on anti-social, <coughs> sorry, social media websites, it's important to keep the humor in there, the 95% the, the of the content is produced by somebody who's paid a wage to produce content. Very often the inaccurate information that lies on a website and or is promoted through social media is in order to get you to click the link. And once you click the link, the other entity, the Google, you know, which obviously we need to be straight up about it, folks. Dynamic free market capitalism. Ha ha ha. I mean, these huge corporations, very much uh, adjuncts of, you know, the US military. There is an extraordinary list of incredibly sophisticated capitalist funding organizations in America that are essentially funded by uh, the American military machine. Good luck to them having people always done that. And their attitude is, well, we invented the internet anyway with um, DARPA and, and, and all that jazz. And the internet was paid for by the US military as a way that if, um, if mutually assured globe, global thermonuclear, uh, global thermonuclear war did break out, they were worried that um, when the first couple of hundred nuclear bombs went off to obliterate Russia, that they wouldn't be able to get a communication message to Australia, to Germany, to Britain, to Chile to be able to launch the remaining nuclear weapons. And so they wanted it, they paid scientists to invent a way that a message traveling through a wire could deconstruct itself, work out the most efficient way to get from point A to point B on the planet through a series of electronic connections and then reassemble itself in a geographically different and dispersed part of the world in order to launch a nuclear bomb. Like, like Mike TV and Willy Wonka? Pretty much, yeah, okay. wonderful knowledge. And uh, stay with us, folks. And, um, and, and, and so in terms of the value system that the US government and thereby European governments, because one has to be conscious that uh, there's very little to no evidence that the European Union as a political bloc has any independent foreign policy independent of, of Washington. And so contextualizing all of human behavior, politics and society in a geopolitical context is really important to understand the world around us. Things happen because of ideological and financial worldview of dominant economic, political power, military, military powers. And so, um, you know, the other thing then about fake news is, you know, ask the next 25 people you meet, um, when was the last time you read an inaccurate piece of information on the internet? 
And um, people who use their social media feed, you so where do you get your news from? Um, well, I, 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 I like The Sun and, you know, I like The National Enquirer and, uh, you know, I like uh, The Daily Express. Well, good for you. And where do you get that information? Well, they post the bits that I'm interested in on my social media feed and then I read that. You know, so this person has a, would, would, for example, have very, um, you know, likely to be a bit racist, a bit nationalist, a bit prone to believe in wacky ideas. But what it is, is, is if the answer like that, they're aware that someone else has written the information, that they've been paid to write it, that it's a commercially profit-seeking organization, and then to get them to it, they've posted it on a social media page. But what's happening, people, is that I got my news on social media. What's happening is, is that the critical reflection as to the economic and political worldview of the people doing the writing isn't, isn't brought in. And so when we talk about media literacy, you know, it's important to start from that premise of uh, teaching ourselves personally and collectively as a society across all income and age groups to go, who wrote this? Where they paid? What's the object? And so a huge amount of inaccurate information isn't because the, the writer hates vaccines. It's because they know that they'll get a hit if they have emotionally engaged, slightly traumatized, freaked out people. Um, and Facebook has worked this out, that um, the more the algorithm knows that, OK, sorry, I don't give agency to the algorithm, but the algorithm is, is written in such a way that it, there's a consciousness among its uh, manufacturers that the more in, the more inaccurate a piece of information is, the higher the likelihood it will get an emotional response. And therefore, the longer the person will stay on the platform over the next few minutes or hours. And so the longer the person stays on the platform, the more likely they are to be profiled, which is really a useful and financially rewarding information. But also, they're more likely to be exposed to advertising of goods and services, again, which is and so it's not like there's an army of ne'er-do-wells out there trying to, you know, bring about the destruction of social democratic liberal capitalist society it's that the inaccurate information in and of itself it reflects the dominant value system of society in liberal democratic consumer capitalism of make a book make a book make a book is the inaccurate information is that an issue because part of me kind of i suppose i play devil's advocate now because whether i think the world is flat or round my esb bill still turns up every two months Milk still goes off in the heat. Me disbelieving, you know, one set of scientists over another. It doesn't really impact on my my day to day. So wh where's the tipping point in the sense of believing what I would consider to be simply wrong facts? Like, well, they read the facts of the Nazis, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'm I'm constantly in lectures because I teach uh, sociology of the media, media so. Geology. And I, I'm constantly, you know, pausing, making myself pause and go, did you see what I just said there? Did you see what you just said there? And so, you know, you started off the piece by, you know, the power of words, the power of ideas. And it's back to this idea of we say work in an office together. And I tell you, my elderly next door neighbor, who I've talked about many times, is a nice guy. And he's I've relayed some funny stories stories from his younger life and I come in one day and um, I say the poor man has, has contracted cancer and then a month later you turn around to me and you say how's your cancer neighbour and I'd say good God Suzanne are you are you in California 
Relating this man's entire lived experience based on the disease that he has, you've applied the adjective, the cancer neighbor. What? So we don't do that because cancer is a uh, hugely profitable, it's grotesque to have to say this, but it's an extraordinarily profitable disease, um, particularly in America. You know, whereas malaria is an extraordinarily unprofitable disease, despite the fact that malaria kills countless many more times uh, people than, 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 than cancer. And uh, when it comes to homelessness, you say, you know, what, 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 what about that homeless guy? What about this homeless guy? And so, you know, again, that idea of every time we use an adjective, we need to be, need to be conscious of it and from whence that. And that kind of might bring us into agenda setting um, in terms of our media concepts of, of, of media literacy. It all matters as far as I'm concerned. Once people start to believe that the moon landings didn't happen or that there's a global Illuminati conspiracy to, you know, yada, yada, inject data chips through vaccines and, you know, you've people holding magnets up to their arms after they're vaccinated and all that stuff. You can get them to be racist, violent, warmongering nationalists and send them to their death to foreign countries to kill strangers and steal their stuff and continue international war. And, and ultimately, when people are facilitated and encouraged to believe ridiculous things, okay, it's only another short one or two steps to rile them up into physically violent, racist, fascist, nationalist mob. And, and then the chances of using the state as a tool for societal continuity, environmental protection, egalitarian values, good public services is quickly eroded. So how do you regulate mountaintop removal, poisoning of rivers, carbon monoxide particles in our city streets? How do you regulate uh, that kind of be human behavior if people are going around believing in witches and angels? And, and so for me, yes, there's no immediate impact of person A believing that the moon landings never happened, but there's some dirty capitalist nationalist out there who go, great stuff, we've got these lads. No, we'll be getting no problem from these lads about workers' rights and increased wages and, uh, you know, toilet breaks for women in factories. Uh, you know, uh, wear a bottle. Uh, you know, get out of your face. Divides people into those who will question and critique and those who maybe won't question or critique. Because there was something just interesting what you were saying about, you know, that, that you can target. I was reading, somebody had put up on social media a piece about you'll get all of these I suppose little questionnaires, bet you can't name, uh, you know, a capital city with two O's in it. And then you go, of course I can, Toronto or London. And what they do, as you said, is you think it's harmless because you're there going, well, they haven't asked for any personal information. They're not fishing for passwords. But what it does is it shows the, the creator. OK, these are people who are going to engage. These are people who are maybe not going to sit back and say, what's behind this and as you said then that kind of that mining that data mining I mean it is that cliche if the service is free what's being sold you're the product yeah <laughs> there is a danger with the spread and scope of disinformation and misinformation and and fake news it is it is it is something that damages society as you see you know but it's a slow creep or a fast moving there, there yeah. are there are there are facts there are right and there's not right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you also have it in that context. This trade deal will increase trade uh, links between us and this other country, and there'll be negligible uh, environmental implications. 
you know, journalists would say that as a fact about a trade deal. For example, the transatlantic trade and investment partnership that never got signed between the EU and the USA. When a journalist would say that in a broadsheet newspaper in Ireland or on the RTE or, you know, Virgin News uh, media, they're not lying. They're not engaged in propaganda. They're not a tool of uh, ecocidal capitalist planetary destruction system. As far as they're concerned and the social milieu that they're from and the cultural background is that these are these are these are fact, you know, and just to take that one example of TTIP, um, you know, I've read that. I've got it as an example um, that that particular phraseology. The EU Commission said that there would be 16,000 tonnes of additional, um, you know, CO2 produced as a result of increased trade from um, from in a successful TTIP negotiation and ratification. One uh, academic worked out, see, the EU statistics uh, body has worked out how much CO2 is produced moving one tonne of stuff on a ship from Europe to America and vice versa. So they were able to work out over the next 10 years the European Commission expect this hundreds of thousands increase in the sale of European cars in America and American cars in Europe. Now notwithstanding any CO2 produced from their cars production or getting it to the port just how much CO2 would be used getting the cars from Europe to America and from America to Europe was 680,000 tons of CO2 all right and so when you're in China uh, you know, the government there will use that as an example to go, look at the way the Europeans lie to their people. Look at the way the journalists are not allowed to have free speech. And they'll use that as an example of grotesque, corporate, state-facilitated lies and propaganda in our mainstream media. And so there, there is that aspect about, about news. Um, you know, and in terms of its historical continuity, it's extraordinarily simple to predict what will be in tomorrow's news media. And it's extraordinarily predictable how a particular news item, if it comes up tomorrow, how it will be dealt with. To the extent that the research demonstrates that European and American journalists, if they actively go out of their way to seek an anti-capitalist or socialist or environmentalist or left feminist or trade unionist, perspective, they go to extraordinary lengths to make sure that they've got a liberal, right-wing liberal or libertarian business employers type of quote on the other side. Whereas the reverse doesn't uh, apply. And so the evidence demonstrates that when a journalist interviews, you know, the leading centre-left, centre-right Liberal Party, a spokesperson from a right-wing think tank that promotes neoliberal economic values, there's no need to go scrabbling off in the, into the brush uh, to try to find balance with a left-leaning academic or a feminist human rights worker. But the other way is, is very much the case. And so it's that, um, you know, the inculcation of privatise is good, deregulation is good, private sector good, public sector bad, you know, and there's, a, there's an extraordinary amount of thousands of academic papers, um, you know, and, and for people listening who, who maybe haven't had an opportunity to study uh, media sociology at an academic level, as much as one Isabella says, if Google and Facebook still exist in the way that they do now in 10 years time, we, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation because there won't be any democracy um, in Europe or, or America. And I know that sounds extraordinarily uh, sort of um, dramatic, but, but, but I think the evidence demonstrates it. Uh, you know, I, I could be just a grumpy old man who doesn't like change and I'm going to be way off the mark. And indeed, I do hope I am. One of the reasons I think I'm off by, off base, as they say in that context, is uh, I have extraordinary faith in young people. I, I have a new bunch of 30 to 60 coming in every year in, in the faculty in communications and whatnot in, in, the, in, in the media faculty at Griffith College, uh, where I teach 
And uh, with each passing year, over the last 10 years, they are more acutely sophisticated in their just everyday understanding of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that was on the internet. Uh, like the big Lebowski says, yeah, whatever, man. That's just like your opinion. You know what I mean? And so over half of them now have this uh, deeply rooted, healthy skepticism, which is, which, is, which is hugely reassuring. Unlike, say, 10, 12 years ago, where it just wasn't there. And I think media literacy in Irish second level is something that we, could be, we can be quite proud of. Now that our news is almost, is completely unregulated. So people are reading other people's Twitter feeds and other people's Facebook feeds and, and taking that as news. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that sort of slight lag that, you know, you presume that news is, as you said, that journalistic thing where, mm-hmm. you know, there was supposed to be balance. Okay, there's balance. I've got the left and the right, but you know what? This is wrong. I'm, I'm not actually going to give space to somebody, our local Ku Klux Klan. For the sake of balance, I'm still not going to interview them you know mm. what I mean so like a journalist was supposed to do that but it goes back to the sort of language wars and framing I often think of like freshly cut sandwiches you know <laughs> the sandwiches were probably you know, they could have been made three weeks ago but they're freshly cut freshly frozen number one in our field or you know uh, voted best it's those sort of things where you see it and you don't question it the information that we have to our fingertips and maybe I'm just a cranky old lady but the, the access to information that I have compared to where I was as a teenager is, there's, there's, I don't know if there's actually a word to describe how, no, you know, no. you had to wait, you know, you would have had to go to a library and look something up. If you hear a song on the radio and the DJ didn't say what it was, forget it. You'd no hope yeah. of ever figuring out yeah. what Look, it was. Look, your average, your average first year student after three months in college in first year in Europe, um, you know, could easily rival the research skills of, uh, of, of someone who'd completed a master's, um, uh, you know, 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. Their capacity to find stuff it's, it's an extraordinary uh, you know I, I do remain optimistic because you know we wouldn't we wouldn't be the dominant species if the vast majority of people uh, weren't driven towards voluntary group cooperation and i think it's really important as well for people to just stop using the word fake news disinformation misinformation and cease from the conversation completely okay i don't believe that really but i'm just throwing it out there listen Part of the reason news is news is, and, oh, sorry, I meant to mention Google Scholar. So scholar, S-C-H-O-L-A-R dot Google dot com. You can type in anything there and you'll find uh, peer reviewed academic journal articles on it. The vast majority of which uh, are, you know, free for the public and, uh, you know, stuff that's a year to two years old and really prestigious journals. It, it's still behind a paywall, but there's more than adequate information there. You know, um, so, you know, much better than, than read. But uh, so news thrives on negativity and opposition. And um, hello, is that politician B? Did you hear what politician A said? And this is a hugely important aspect. You know, and I, I don't want to denigrate uh, the work of um, journalists. It's, it's hugely important that they, they tell us mm-hmm. what the centre left and centre right parties do. And look at these are the values that the majority of people are going along with. We've got consumer capitalism. It's in a neoliberalist phase at the minute. It might eradicate our species, but, you know, we'll see if we can get across that hurdle. And so, you know, it, it says, I prefer to live here than in China. Thanks very much. And so for all its failings, it, 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 uh, it is a reasonably egalitarian society uh, and, and must be applauded as such. If the journalist can't find someone to disagree with or react to the thing, it's much less likely to actually be transformed from a human event into a new story. And so it's the, 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 the professional norms of actively seeking out negativity and so the people who 99 percent of the times the word fake news is used it's used by a professional journalist 
in the mainstream media who serve a really useful democratic function in our society. And they're going, and you say to them, and I've had this experience, how many inaccurate pieces of information have you read either on a website or on your social media in the last three months? None. When you walk around the office, please get a clipboard and take a note of the answers that everyone in the office, on the bus, on the way home, say the same. At the next time you're at a, a family do, ask your aunts and uncles, you know what? The vast majority of people will tell you straight up, I don't know what all them journalists are going on about, but I'm not willing to admit in public I've never seen fake news because it's all over the place. And the only reason I don't see it is because I'm not plugged into the zeitgeist. You're going to go, no, it's because you just don't see it. Journalists are obsessed by it because it's a big, dramatic news story. You're going to go, guys, okay, listen, Donald Trump invented the term fake news and he uses it to describe the New York Times and CNN. Like, this is, these are standards that we teach our, journalist, our journalism and communication students to get to, you know? Global standards. It's, it's not a utopia, but they're bloody good by global standards. You know, the New York Times, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we can go down the Noam Chomsky critique route if you wish. Obviously, I do come at life from a left-wing perspective because I, I, you know, like the Enlightenment of the 17th century, I think the purpose of knowing and understanding is to make it better for the vast majority of people. From That's the purpose of theory and, and action. And, and so, you know, very much colours to the mast, coming from a left perspective rather than a liberal perspective myself. So if journalists stop talking about fake news in a hysterical, ill-informed manner, I, I think we'd all calm down a lot more. You know, if people want to find out World War II bomber found on moon um, in the National Enquirer, good luck to them. But I, I think it's hugely overestimated. There is an acknowledgement that TV and broadcasting has, has shifted. So we have in Ireland, we have an online safety and media regulation bill, which is due to uh, yeah. overtake the broadcast bill. And I suppose something that caught my eye, which kind of feeds into what you were saying, is editorial responsibility. So it's the exercise of effective control over both the selection of the programmes and their organisation. And I would nearly sort of say in terms of programmes, content and how content is presented. I, I choose, and I suppose that's the other thing as well, I, I now choose what media I consume. So I'm in, I'm in that silo. So like I even find in, in the house I live in, there are three of us and we get completely different news on our phones completely different you mean on your social media feed your google search will have like a news oh you click your google news yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. so yeah. even that will, will will tell the three of us three completely different there's three yeah. completely different worlds out there yeah um, so it'd be it, that's i think that's quite interesting who controls that narrative who, mm -hmm. who decides what news is yeah i mean the first thing is you need to remember that um the, the, the primary objective of the uh, individualization of your feed and someone else's feed that's different when you, for example, click on Google News or even go to a mainstream news um, newspaper website, yeah. it's a commercial decision. And so, you know, even the state broadcaster who's not for profit, RTE, and their sister organizations across uh, the European Union in the various member states, these type of stories in the news get more hits than the other ones and so uh, you know it, it factors in in terms of the position on the page and the length and the number and types of articles that are written about it. There was a time up until 2006 when the research demonstrated that when you asked a journalist in mainstream news uh, which is a terrible phrase let's just say news um, because it's it's a bit like uh, yeah it's a bit like saying fake news you know it's either news or it's not <laughs> true facts they're either facts or they're not so yeah news is that how did you know the researcher goes how did you know that was a news story because i'm a professional and how did you know that you did 
now because when I went to a press conference the following afternoon, a colleague of mine in the computer organization said, nice piece, Joey. Um, and I got my validation there. And what the research also demonstrated was when they went to family barbecues or they went out with drinks from, with, went for drinks with friends from college from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. And, and did, did those friends and relations give out to you about what you covered? Yes. Did they give out to you about the perspective? Yes. Did you do anything about it? No. Why not? Because they're just humans who don't know. I'm a professional. They're not a professional. They don't know what a new story is. And so what people need to appreciate is that whether it's carpentry or car maintenance or the construction of a basement in a pre-existing house, news production is like that. It's got professional norms. Uh, and of course it does. It couldn't exist outside human socialization. And so there also is this uh, mythology in our society around this obscene idea of objectivity. As Robert Fisk demanded one day, when you're a journalist, in the hills above Sarajevo during the horror of the Yugoslavian wars in the 1990 and the racist ex-criminal ex organization, the KLA, are using high-powered sniper rifles to murder women and children who are scuttling through the streets with bread and water, uh, hoping that they won't be killed. And then the guy kills them and his mates have a good old laugh because you know, whatever ethnic minority these people are, they're not really people. Where's your objectivity then? And so what if we want to take objectivity? So when you have a, a human rights advocate speaking about transgender human rights or homosexual people's uh, human rights, do you go and interview a racist Ku Klux Klan homophobe misogynist? No, you don't. And so what happened in the ninth, like one of the reasons our species is, is you know, uh, in a very awkward situation in terms of our ability to continue surviving on this planet is because in the 1990s and 2000s, journalists would take scientific fact <laughs> from <laughs> journals and say, uh, you know, if the earth gets to two degrees, um, our civilizations will collapse. And then they'd go and interview, uh, you know, Jimmy McGivnity, PhD, Dr. Yadia from, you know, the uh, American Business for Environmental Change, for Positive Environmental Change. And you're going to go, and, dude, it's paid for by Exxon, for goodness sake, you know. Um, even if you don't know it, find out who the Research Institute is paid for. And then when you do find out, it doesn't make you left wing to tell us who this research agency is, is funded by. If we are still alive as a species in 500 years, like probably the most focused amount of hatred <laughs> uh, will go back to people who worked in media, in governmental communications departments and in, in news media, for they didn't tell people. Now, part of me is willing to let them off the hook because uh, one of my quests for the next 12 months is to find out, just to get journalists to admit and to get politicians and senior civil servants to admit, look, guys, hand up. I have no idea what the difference is between a 1.5% increase and a 2% increase in global average temperatures. So if you want to have fake news, there's your fake news with screaming bells on that's going to, you know, what is going to happen when, you know, all those storms we had with names, we've had more storms with names in the last two years than we did in the previous 25 years, where we're, we're being walked into this future uh, society. And so it really does melt the head when you're trying to say, well, is the omission of information 
also a fake news villain. When I was sort of reading up on, you know, sort of strategies to assist people to disseminate information online, a piece from the UK just this week, and they're looking at, I suppose, assisting people to, be, you know, to, to increase their media literacy and their digital literacy. But at the same time, as you said, sometimes it'll have to be down to, is, is it censorship to to not include a piece, uh, you know, for, for somebody to actually make a call and say, well, that's simply incorrect and it's dangerously incorrect. We will not allow that to be printed on our platform. We will not allow it to be printed or we will not allow that information to be uploaded onto our, our website. Or if, if, you're, if you're trying to protect people from the sheer volume of information that's out there, you're trying to help people navigate the volume of information that's out there. Do you then need to cap what they can see. Part two of that then might be things like greenwashing and whitewashing. Like was a Maureen Dowd in the Irish Times this week, there was a piece about the Trumps are trying to rewrite history almost. You know, I mean, history is written by the victors, isn't that what they say? But, you know, in 50 years time, when many of us who remember Trump won't be here to kind of go, well, actually, no, that's not quite how it was. But it's, it is that thing of what's recorded and is there information maybe that somebody somewhere needs to say, well, actually, no, that doesn't deserve airtime or that doesn't deserve space. I don't know how you protect people without censorship. First of all, you have to trust people. Yeah. If you believe in democracy. Obviously, in terms of context and free speech, the point is, is that we all have this right to free speech, which we have you know, fought and died for over generations in the liberal West. And it's of primary importance that we retain it. But what happens when we subsume, transform, transmogrify, corral, control free speech into actually, what I mean is free speech brackets with my right to make a few bob out of it. And so the minute that, you know, an organization is legally bound to maximize profit and minimize costs as all companies quoted on the stock market are, So every country in the world that engages in international trade has a thing called company law. And in company law, senior executives are by the law of that nation state and across democracies of of, of the world, they are legally obliged to minimize costs and, um, and, and maximize profit for shareholders. And if you don't, you not only can be removed from your post by a board of directors or shareholders, but you can be pursued by uh, various state regulators for basically stealing other people's money by not doing by not uh, doing your job. And so it's an extraordinary complex concept to go, you're doing what you're doing to make a profit. And me, the government, on behalf of the collective good of society, and the cultivation of a dynamic, uh, innovative, competitive uh, capitalist market, I mean, I'm telling you what you can and cannot say on your platform or website. Um, listen, if you've got no advertising, and you're not making a profit out of it, as the state, I think I really need to stand back and shut the hell up. Uh, But if you're making money out of it, that changes everything. It changes everything. So if you write something, if you write something, put it online, and then have an ad beside it, it's not nothing to do with free speech. it's, 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 It's freedom to make money. And so, you know, we have to be extraordinarily careful uh, and engage in a big public debate of, uh, no, listen, dude, you're making money. Um, and, and so we know that the truth is that the more inaccurate the piece of information is, the more it will be shared, 
the bigger emotional response it will get. And therefore, inaccurate information is prioritized to some degree by the algorithms and social media organizations. And so uh, just saying that you are now a publisher, the same as the Irish Times and the Star, Daily Star are publishers, because you got a commercial relationship with your audience. So uh, tough look. There's a 75 and a half million euro fine for your third instances of racism today, Mr. Zuckerberg, you know, and you just keep whacking on the fines. And if Zuckerberg and his colleagues move fast, break things, smash democracy, uh, make money out of uh, inaccurate information, don't get me wrong, most of it is good stuff. Uh, people do find products and services they want online. Uh, people do form bonds of shared identity and in your district of your city or your rural area. And, um, you know, I, I think the good massively outweighs the bad. And we need to be conscious of that. If you're making money off a website that's driven by content, you've got to be regular. You've got to be a publisher. Uh, and that's the end of it for me. Um, I, I could go on and bore everybody senseless, quoting various academics. Um, but like, if you start from that perspective, it's just yeah. like free speech, me eye. Lucas, it's a bag of money you're after, not free speech. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose, do we kind of finish where we started, which is, as you said, with your students, with secondary school, your policy should be the power, you know, the power of language, the power of words, question everything, critique everything. Is that absolutely, okay? absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Look, I don't know if it's a nationwide thing. Um, beginning to think maybe it is, but you know, a fourteen-year-old relative of mine in 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 just finishing up second the second year in secondary school now, and um, you know, two of his assignments that they had that he had to do was um, you know, do a project on such and such, and have ten sources at the end of your project and then write three sentences about each source. Yeah. And, you know, no matter how disinterested you are in the maintenance of a, the collective good and a democratic society and a dynamic capitalist market and whatever you like, you, you, they're making them, they're forcing them to, yeah. to, to, in, into critical reflexive awareness, yeah. 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 Which, is, which, which is great. I'm kind of hopeful, as you said, that these 14-year-olds who will hopefully be bigger than Facebook and paying for our pensions when the time comes. <laughs> yeah, but just to throw in there towards towards the end is, I think it's important in any conversation about media literacy to bring in um, uh, sociology. And so just to throw it in there in terms of snatch, snapshot soundbite, if I can, uh, human beings take action in the world um, and every single human action is embedded in a value system. And those values that each individual human being has comes from the institutions in which we are immersed. It starts with the family, then education. In some countries, it's the army or police. Uh, in some countries, it's religious organization. And so we are immersed, subsumed, enthralled and ensnared inside these institutions. And it's through this process from being a baby, we learn how to behave. We learn how to interact in groups. And we, you know, we're the sort of family who always throws our rubbish at the beach because god damn i pay my tax someone else should clean it up and another family's going like and we always tidy up not only our rubbish but other. so you know you grow into adulthood and either do or don't throw your crisp packet on the street um and, and those very simplistic example uh, value systems so the media is what we call a socializing agent and so in the same way that your parents or in your secondary school uh, or your religious organization inculcates you with values uh, and teaches you how to behave what's good what's bad the media does that um, and so I say, Canada, what do you think? I've never been to Canada, but I've got all these images in my mind of what Canada is and what it represents. Um, how do you feel about Vietnam? Um, whatever they told me in the media. 
And so what we need to do in order to uh, survive as a species, maintain democracy and uh, the good bits of capitalism, um, we, we, we need to realize that uh, who I am and what I understand to be my sense of self, my relationship to you and everybody else in the street, in the world, in the house, the products I buy and the people I vote for is, is takes place within the structure of my socialization within the realm of media. And so who we are and what we do is massively predicated on what we've learned, learned to think as a result of our exposure to, to, to media. It's not a brainwashing exercise. It's a realization and an acceptance of what is in and of the world and from whence our values. And so seeing media, and so in that regard, you know, go to Wikipedia and type in the propaganda model and read Noam Chomsky's uh, item on it. Go to uh, scholar.google.com and go, what is media framing? Okay. And also another great one is socialization through media. And so socialization is the process of like, you know, when you get to be six years of age, you should know that you don't turn around to your auntie and go, what's that big lump on your nose, auntie? Uh, because you know it's embarrassing, you know, but you say when you're three and you realize people are going, oh God, she's got another big spot on the end of her nose. Oh, and you learn by the time you're three. And so in the same way that, um, you know, in certain company, you wouldn't say, I vote for the Socialist Workers Party. Um, you know, you kind of go like, man, that's going to go down like a lead balloon around here. Or, um, or <laughs> another. We don't see the censorship, uh, but we've learned that um, to, 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 to how to behave. And so it's important to look at media from that perspective. So we are a product of place and time. And that, I suppose, yeah, the, the world around me rewards certain behaviours, rewards, as you said, it were, you know, if I do something, it says, good girl, pats me on the head. If I do, you know, as you said, if, if I come out with, you know, the wrong political party and the wrong, you know, the wrong Ardesh, the wrong, uh, you know, the, the, the wrong program, party, you know, that's it, yeah, that kind of thing, uh, you know, there will be kind of, you know, sharp intake of breath. So, yes, but I had never really thought about the media telling me what I can do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, but that kind of Overton window as well. You know what I mean? What's what what was what's what's allowed? And I tell you, I tell you, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, sorry to cut across there. But you know, if 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 you go to a, a you know a decent search engine or whatever, and and, and you search for um, you know the word capitalism between two thousand and eight and two thousand and ten, you kind of go like, maybe capitalism was the reason why the economic catastrophe of two thousand and eight happened. Maybe it was deregulated neoliberalist capitalism, and that the five hundred year arc of evidence demonstrates that the very nature of capitalism is that it goes through a series of uh, cyclical booms and busts and that that's the only way that the system functions and that it's actually part of the function of capitalism to go through these peaks and troughs and the idea that you know okay i'll tell a lie the irish times republished an article by noam chomsky from the new york times post 2008 economic catastrophe in the article he points out this very thing that i'm saying they edited the piece removed paragraphs and it was a poor uh, imitation of what it was when it was in the new york times so there was one article in the whole horror of the two three years after that economic catastrophe in september 2008 when blah 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 was collapsing and all the rest you gotta go on holy goodness what's going on there they can't even have 50 articles that go hang on a second time for some deep reflection maybe it is capitalism 
it's important to remember that as well. Like if you can't, if you can't say maybe capitalism is the problem uh, in the couple of years after an economic catastrophe, you kind of go like, what chance have we got to talk honestly about climate change? And so, you know, the next journalist you meet, um, hi, so could you tell me the implications of the difference between a one and a half and a 2% global average increase in temperature? Come on, I'm going to go for a 35 second long pause here. Then it's going to get embarrassing. Um, and if they do know, you have to wonder, really, fake news? Isn't it fake by omission that, you know, cataclysmic social breakdown and the end of the global trading system is what we're looking at over the next 30, 40 years with, with climate change? Um, sorry. So for me, media uh, is inexorably linked with all of that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, anything that you would like us to discuss or delve into or explore further, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.